probably. Um, so w one of the events that I was, um, uh, that, that we did a few nights ago here that's outside of the Wednesday night, um, we, we got together at a friend of mine's house and we gathered to watch the movie Selma. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's a really good movie. Um, it, it's a movie about the struggle in the early 1960s to, to gain full voting rights for all the residents of Alabama, and in particular, the, the residents of this town called Selma. And, and from a constitutional perspective, everyone in that town, everyone in the state of Alabama had the right to vote because the 19th Amendment was passed in 1920. But here's the deal, and this is why the struggle went on for 45 years. There were several localities in some of the southern states that had mandated restrictive voting requirements, like poll taxes or like literacy tests. And those were put in place to keep the black population from voting. And so Selma, this small town or smaller town in Alabama, became the flashpoint for this struggle. There were gatherings, there were demonstrations, there were marches and there were people black and white who literally gave their lives literally gave their lives to win the right to vote for others in August 1965 President Johnson signed into law the Voting Rights Act which took away all those unjust requirements and provided for the protection of all who registered to vote Now imagine the insanity of having those rights and privileges, but not taking advantage of them. Imagine the insanity of all this being one for you with the blood of your neighbor, but staying home on voting day. Many of us in the Christian life live in that same kind of insanity. We may have heard that Jesus died for our sin. We might know of his death on the cross. But we're not living in the full rights and the full privileges that were won for us at the cross. At the cross, Jesus did indeed purchase our justification. If you don't know what that word means, I'll come back to it. We'll, we'll work that out. He did purchase our justification, but he purchased so much more. And that's what I want to look at tonight. I want you to live into so much more. I want you to know your justification. In fact... If I were to put my cards out here on the table, that's what we've been talking about the last two times we've been together here this spring semester, is justification. So we'll, we'll give a summary of that, but I want you to see the more. And I want you to live in that more. So let's see it, and then we'll talk about how we live in it. It's right there, Romans 5. By the way, we're going through a series on the book of Romans. We believe the Bible should set the agenda for our lives, so we go through books of the Bible. We're in Romans <coughs> We're in chapter 5, and we'll keep working through Romans the rest of the semester. <coughs> Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Here we go. Ah, I'm still in Ephesians, y'all. I'm so sorry. Okay, here we go. 
Therefore, I'm not a good multitasker, so it just left my brain. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So up to this point in Romans 5, Paul's been laying out the case for our justification. Here's a quick definition. How it is that sinners like us can be made right with God. That's what justification is. And if I had to give you a picture of it, let me do it with this. Robert, can you stand up? And Ray Ray, can you stand up? Ray Ray? All right. Some of you have seen this before, so forgive me, but it works. Um, actually, Ray Ray, let me, let me have you have a seat right here real quick. All right. So we all, we all know the kind of person Robert is. Sinner. <laughs> No, Robert, you know that about him. But I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sarah Pope was mortified right there. It's okay. Um, but but rea- in, the, in reality, this is all of us. That's why I can joke with him like this. And, and imagine with, with each sin, there's a stain or a mark on you. I know it's one of my favorite shirts. There's a stain or a mark that, that taints your soul and we know that sin is any rebellion against God in thought, word, and deed. And we can do it in something we do or in something we fail to do that God says we should do. And when you take that definition or understanding of sin, it doesn't take long to see, man, this shirt would be completely covered with stain, with the guilt of sin. And this is what we have to answer for before a holy God. God is perfect. He's holy. He's just. And we stand before God with a totally stained and covered with sin soul. And we can't fix that. We can't do anything about that. And so we're under his wrath and condemnation. And that's what Romans 1, 2, and 3 have been telling us. They've also told us we're not hopeless. And Romans 5 reminds us of it there in verse 1. We're not hopeless because God provided a solution to the problem that we could not solve. And it was in the form of his son. Now, Ray, Ray, you go ahead and stand up. And have that. No, no, no. You don't want to go and read again. Jesus, God's perfect son, came and lived 33 years perfectly. Not one spot on his record. And he lived the law. Everything God commanded, Jesus did. And that's why his earthly life was important. If all he had to do was go to the cross to take away our sin, he could have come, boom, gone to the cross. But he didn't do that. He came and he lived 33 years of perfect righteousness. Not one stain on his record. And at the right time, at that moment, on the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself and he gave to us his perfect righteousness. Do y'all see this? Jesus took this 
upon himself. And along with this, the wrath and the condemnation I was talking about earlier. It all fell on Jesus. Am I hitting you too hard? No. (laughs) (laughs) And so we, the sinners, are clean. Are spotless. Think about it this way. There was a double transfer or a double transaction that took place. Our sin placed upon Christ, his righteousness, his perfect record placed upon us. And so when God looks at us, what does he see? Clean. He sees righteousness. And it would be unjust for him to see us in this way. Why? Because Jesus took it. Jesus killed it. Jesus buried it. He's gone. This is what God sees when he looks at the one who has their trust in Jesus. This is justification. Y'all got the picture? Great. Y'all can go and have a seat. Thanks. Sometimes it's it's, uh, helpful to have a picture in your mind. This is what God has offered to us in Christ. And if that's all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, that, that, that would be enough. But did you see the abundance of more that we have because of our justification in Christ? Did you see what flowed out of it, out of verse 1 there? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Y'all see that phrase right at the beginning? Since we have this thing called justification. Now you got the rest of this that I'm going to outline for you. Okay? And we're going to take a few of those with the rest of our time. First thing that we have coming out of our justification, and it's, well, I was going to say it's big. All of these are big. First thing we have, peace of God or peace with God. Now, because of our sin, we were at enmity with God. We rebelled against him in thought, word, and deed, and we had turned our backs on him. Our relationship with God was broken beyond anything we could fix or repair. It's it's that picture of the t-shirts. Because of our sin, we had broken relationship with God. We had turned our backs. But God fixed the problem by sending a Savior. And through that Savior, Jesus, He purchased our peace. And through Jesus, we now have peace Another way to say that, we've been restored to a right standing, a right relationship with God. And there are implications to that, wonderful ones. Because we have peace with God, we can have peace with one another. It doesn't matter what's been done to me. I can forgive the greatest of offenses because of the great forgiveness I've been given in Jesus Christ. In his mercy and grace, God made peace with sinners like us. And so now we can show it to others. In other words, what's been done to us has to start flowing through us. We've been brought to peace with God. And so we need to start giving that to others. Because we've been justified, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we also have unthinkable access to God, which is our second thing. You see it there in verse 2. 
Because of our justification, we have access into his grace. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross not only brought us into peace, but because of that peace, it gave us access to God. And and again, I think maybe a mental picture would help here. In the Old Testament, the construction of the temple was kind of a rectangle. And at one of the smaller ends of that rectangle was the entrance to the temple. And the first area that you would walk in was called the court of the Gentiles, so that the Gentiles had a place. The non-Jews had a place to worship God. And then beyond that was the court of Israel. And they divided that between the court of women and the court of men. But it was a place for anyone and everyone who was a Jew to come and worship God. And then beyond that was the holy place. And that's where only the priests could go. And they would go and offer sacrifices and offerings and prayers for God's people. And and that would happen daily. But then beyond that was what was known as the Holy of Holies. And, And it was the place where God's presence was most centrally located. And it was there that only once a year could the high priest go in and offer sacrifice on behalf of God's people. Only once a year. And it was this picture of God is so holy, so completely other that you only approach Him once, once a year, and only the high priest. Well, when Jesus hung on the cross, oh, this is important, between the Holy of Holies and between the holy place, so so the third and the fourth locations, right? There was a veil, a curtain that separated the two. Again, as if to say, God completely holy and other. When Jesus hung on the cross, that curtain was torn in two. That veil was split from top to bottom. It was a way of God saying, because of the sacrifice of my son, I'm going to break down the dividing wall between sinful man and holy God. And you now have free access to the holy of holies who is God himself. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that unbelievable? Access that our Old Testament brothers and sisters couldn't even imagine. We have access in a way they couldn't even fathom. Because of Jesus, there is no more curtain, there is no more veil, there is no more dividing wall. And I wonder if that reality makes any difference in our lives. I'm ashamed to tell you how much I live like a functional deist. Here's what I mean by that. I I live as though God is some kind of divine creator who exists, but has nothing to do with my everyday life. And so if you walked up to me here on campus and said, Joe, do you believe God exists? Of, Of course I would say yes. But if you ask me, has he made any difference in your life today? And a lot of the time, the answer would be no. 
I don't live in the access that I have. If I did, I would pray more. I would trust more. I would love more. I would sing more. Y'all wouldn't want that, but I would. I would give thanks more. I would enjoy His good gifts more. I would praise Him more. One of my heroes of the faith, R.C. Sproul, he died last year, had the Latin phrase quorum Deo as the mission statement for his life. And by it, he meant he wanted his whole life to live, to be lived before the face of God and in the presence of God. That's what, that's what quorum Deo means, in the presence or before the face of God. That's what I want my, my mission, my, my life's mission to be. And that's what I want yours to be. Will you make it your mission? Will you make it your purpose, your goal to live quorum Deo, in the presence of God and before the face of God because of the access that Christ purchased for you on the cross. There's no more curtain. There's no more veil. There's no more dividing wall. If you're in Christ, you and I, we have full access to the Father. Will you live into that? Not only do we have peace with God and access to the Father, but we can also have joy, whatever this life brings. Look back again at verses 3 and 4. It's kind of weird what Paul does here. He introduces the idea of suffering. And it seems, at least to me, kind of like a strange shift to go from these glorious truths of peace of God. Man, yeah, we're made right with God. Access with God. Yes, yeah, so I can walk into the presence of God. No more curtain, no more veil. Oh, and by the way, suffering. Dude, Paul, thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate that. And I think it's because Paul knows that while we have these wonderful benefits, we also live in a broken world where pain and suffering are a regular part of our experience, aren't they? And yet, in this pain and suffering, Paul tells us we can have joy. That's the benefit of our justification. We can have joy in our suffering. So, so follow his line of thinking here in verses 3 and 4. Suffering produces endurance. In other words, it makes us tougher. It makes us stronger. Endurance then produces character. In other words, we, we become better people in, in that refining fire of suffering. And character produces hope. And hope by nature, by definition, is forward-looking. And I'm not talking about the kind of hope that's just wishful thinking. You know, we we kind of use hope in two senses. Wishful thinking, but hope is also eager expectation of what's been promised. That's the kind of hope we're talking about. Eager expectation of what has been promised. The expectation that God will redeem and use whatever suffering we undergo. Listen to some glorious words of John Piper. Do we have it? Okay. Man, I love this stuff. John Piper on suffering. Not only 
is all of your affliction momentary? Not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar weight of glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. And it's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. And don't say it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, do not lose If you don't get it through those words, get it through this. It's a bit like childbirth. I was with my wife for each of our five, and none of them were easy. I think that just kind of goes with the dirt. For my wife. For my wife. Not for me. Kayla's throwing daggers at me, man. In fact, on our second... Terry had determined to go without the epidural. Don't recommend it. Do not recommend it. I was pretty sure she was going to die. And there were moments I thought I might die because she was going to kill me. And yet after each childbirth, even the no epidural one, as she held that precious gift of God in her arms, she would have said, I'd do it all over again. And I know she would have said that because she actually did. The pain was producing something. And like I said, for several, it was hours of pain that felt like an eternity. But it was producing something. The glory that was revealed as she held that little one in her arms far outweighed the suffering. Do you know this hope? That as you follow Jesus, your suffering, whatever it is, is not meaningless. God is over it. He's with you in it. He's using it. And the glory to come will be far greater because of it. That's what Romans 5 is promising us. That's what we have because of our justification. Last thing we'll talk about that we have because of our justification. Verse 5 tells us that through our justification, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Listen, God has not justified you. God has not saved you, has not called you to himself with some kind of cold, detached declaration, you are righteous. That's not what, that's not what he's done. I don't know where that came from. I don't think I could. He, he looks at you, he looks you in the eye like a loving spouse. And he says, you are mine. 
That's what He's done. He's poured out His love upon you through His Holy Spirit. And this love is more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Though That feeling's nice when you get those feels. The love of God is a love where you're fully known and you're fully loved. It's kind of terrifying, isn't it? To be fully known. I mean, if anybody knew everything about me, I'd be terrified. But the love of God is such that He does. And He loves you anyway. It's a love in which you're safe and you're secure. It's a love in which you're desirable and you're wanted. It's a love in which you're cared for and you're provided for. It's a love in which He's with you and He will never leave you no matter what you do. Love of God is not some sappy notion that Christians have made up so we can feel better about ourselves. It's the kind of love that grips the life of the the, the one loved in such a way that they then begin to love in that way. And so because we're loved by God, we can love God. And because we're loved by God, we can love our neighbor with that same kind of love. This is what the love of God poured into our hearts does to us. It changes us. It moves us from our self-centeredness to an other's centeredness. It moves us from fear to faith. It moves us from passivity to activity. Because of the love of God poured into our hearts, we can love even the hardest people to love because of the love we've been shown when we were hard to love. We can sacrifice in loving others because of the sacrifice that was made for us. Let me just finish with these two thoughts. Ministry is hard. Sometimes I get so discouraged that, that I get pretty close to a despair that borderlines depression. And I'm pretty open with, with Terry about this. I know, I know when it's coming. And here's what I tell her over and over, that she is my number one weapon to fight against that despair. And here's why that's the case. As long as I know I'm loved, I can move forward into anything. As long as I know I'm loved, I can keep walking into pretty much anything. If you've been justified by faith, if you belong to Christ by faith, you are loved. And you can move forward into anything. You have a sure hope in suffering. You have full access to God. And you have peace with God. And just so we're sure to get this, did you see how this love being poured out to us comes to us? How does it come? The Holy Spirit. God gave us the Holy Spirit to communicate all of this to us. How do you think His communication skills are? 
They're pretty good. He's God himself. So hear this. God gave us himself to make sure we don't miss a bit of it. And so we can sing like we're about to do with all of our hearts, with 100% certainty, and with all honesty. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? You can leave here tonight with a positive answer to that. Cling to Christ, come to Christ, and it will be well with your soul. Let me pray. God, we stand amazed at what you accomplished for us at the cross. Our justification that we who were enemies and sinners have been brought near brought into peace with God, given full access that we can have joy even in the deepest of suffering. And that we have your love poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. There's just nothing we could do to thank you enough or return what we owe. And so we're left to thank and to praise. And I pray that we would do that the rest of tonight, all of tomorrow and every day hereafter. And Father, I pray that everyone in this room would be able to leave here tonight saying, it is well with my soul because of what Jesus did for me. Lord, make that so by your grace and in your love. And we pray it in Christ's name.